to the Carrero Podcast. I'm Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Nancy Caruso. Nancy is a Virginia native with a bachelor's in science in marine biology with an emphasis in aquaculture and chemistry. Early in her career, Nancy worked in the aquaculture industry for a local public aquarium. To continue her work, Nancy started a nonprofit organization called Get Inspired. In this organization, she works to restore the kelp forest ecosystem and has taught 5,000 kids to grow white sea bass in their classrooms, which are released annually into their ocean habitats in the restored kelp forests. Get Inspired is dedicated to inspiring stewardship, curiosity for the natural world through the exploration of science. Nancy is also working on a 10-year project to restore green abalone with the help of public aquaria, museums, and 36,000 Southern California students in their classrooms. Hi, Nancy, and, and welcome to um, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for your willingness to to do this. And one of the things in which we saw was that you have quite the bio. Um, so, um, can you can you share with us what what attracted you to marine biology, and 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 with that, can you share with us how how your how your K twelve schooling was? Uh, well. Hi, Fred. Hi, hi, Nancy. <laughs> after all these years. Yeah, after all these years. Um, well, it was a teacher, actually. Uh, growing up in Virginia, having never seen the ocean before, it was my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. May, who one day taught me about plate tectonics and how the plates are moving around underneath the ocean. And that blew my little 10-year-old mind that there was even land underneath the ocean because I hadn't <laughs> seen it before. <laughs> And so I, I remember asking her what that's called, and she said it's called oceanography. And I said, that's what I want to be. Wow. So ever since that day, and again, I had never even seen the ocean, you know, on TV, but that was it. Um, so uh, I actually found Mrs. May recently after looking for her for a really long time. That's wow. awesome. And, that is super and cool. called her to thank her for her lesson. And she told me her side of the story, which was that she was a first year teacher. Uh, she was teaching this gifted and talented program, and she was honored to have the opportunity to teach it for the first time. And um, she wanted to be an oceanographer when she was a kid, but she ended up being a teacher. So she thought, well, maybe I can inspire the next generation. Mm. And so it and, worked. And she did. Wow, and she that's did. super yeah. cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so she did a lot. It was, it was really project-based learning, actually, because we did uh, everything with our senses, in her program so mm -hmm. we would just meet uh once a week for f three hours during school and that particular day we were building the the continental shelves out of plaster of paris and she was teaching this lesson with this activity um and everything we did was um integrated you know history and art and science and um and so i have the result of why that's really important um, of integrating everything and using all of your senses to learn um, so I, I sprung off of that with Get Inspired, actually, um, because she inspired me. That's awesome. That's super cool. And I like how you said we were doing project and problem-based learning, and that was before we had this cute little name tied up with right. a little bow on it. Right. Um, she was doing that way back then. That's, that's awesome. Love it. So then, yep. so, so then take us through your, through your undergrad years then. Uh, well, I went to school in Florida, 
um, because there was only one other person I had ever met that wanted to be a marine biologist, and he went to school in Florida, so that's what I had to do. <laughs> so I, uh, I went to school there, uh, which is a proper place to go to school to study marine biology. Oh, sure. And um, I actually got to, my whole childhood, my father wanted me to be a nurse in the Army, so I had to really fight to go to wow. a private school wow. in, in Florida. My mom luckily stood up for me and, and helped me get there. Um, I'm fighting with my father, but, um, I went to a private school and, um, my whole career, you know, I had done, you know, by the time I graduated, um, eight years of book reports and career reports on marine biology and oceanography. So I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. No jobs, low pay. <laughs> and, you know, I job shadowed everybody I possibly could. So I knew exactly what I was going into. And, um, the school I, I chose also had a, a uh, an aquaculture degree program, oh. and I had been raising fish my whole life. My aquariums all over my room. I had to share it with my sister, hmm. so God bless her. But um, <laughs> I'd raised fish my whole life, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is a real major. So I didn't even know it, but I chose a school that had something else that I really loved. So I had a dual major, um, two, two bachelor's degrees that I worked on in four years, and studied aquaculture and marine biology. And uh, I've actually used both of those things through my whole career because uh, I do restoration yeah. and and uh, aquaculture of those species um, for my career. So uh, it ended up being awesome and perfect. And so I went to Florida Institute of Technology in Melbourne, Florida. Wow. wow. So with your passion for fish and water, are you a scuba diver by chance? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Okay. Is that how you know, Fred? Probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how we got hooked up together. That's okay, right. that makes sense. <laughs> um, so then, did you move out to California after that? I actually moved to Mississippi after wow. working for Disney, um, and I graduated. This is really important for for teachers to know, but also for students to know. But Disney World um, has. Th th over 3,000 interns every six months. And um, about three dozen of those interns are technical interns. And so I was an aquaculture intern for Disney at Epcot Center. They have diving interns, marine mammalogy interns. They have aquarium interns. Wow. They have, um, and now the, the um, animal park is there. So they have all kinds of veterinary and animal science internships as well and engineering. So um, I got hooked up with that. I had an aquaculture intern for Disney, and that opened up a lot of doors for me because my boss there, um, Jane Davis, knew everybody in that industry and and just I tagged along with her to all the conferences and everything she went to. And I went to a conference with a sign on that said, I need a job. <laughs> and I got a job in Mississippi working for uh, a fish aquaculture supply company. And I had a little side job on a catfish farm and uh, did that for a couple of years. And then I moved to Michigan and worked on a coral farm, believe it or not. Oh, that's cool. In Michigan, yeah, of all in places. Michigan. Wow. And then uh, my boyfriend at the time got a job in California and said, hey, you want to move to California? And I went, uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, that's that's how I got out here. And I worked for the Aquarium of the Pacific when I got out here as a water chemist. Oh, nice. And, um, and then I, I really wanted to work in the ocean. So I found a job doing restoration um, in 2002. And um, that's how I got put on this path of doing restoration work. Now, now tell us about that. Um, how do you and can you can you tell our tell our audience what what you mean by um, restoration? 
Yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people in the world that do ocean restoration, uh, and that's um, obvious by the number of grants that are available for me to apply for. Oh. Uh, but there's, there, there's a big um, emphasis that's, that's... right now on corals because yes. mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of media attention going to coral die-offs, and so there's a lot of research going on to figure out how to restore corals. Nobody's figured that out yet. Um, it's extraordinarily dynamic. Um, you know, I, I did restoration of kelp forests starting out, and every single place that I planted kelp had different variables that were involved with the restoration. So um, this this coral problem is going to be huge. Uh, there's so many species involved, and there's so many uh, symbiotic species involved with the growth of these corals. Uh, but So there's not a lot of, of places, not a lot of people doing restoration, except for now coral has a lot of money going to it and as i tell the students that help me with this work there's a lot of people that take things out of the ocean there's not a whole lot of people that put things in the ocean um, to help it and so um, i got started by restoring the kelp forests of southern california that were 90 percent gone and they had been for 20 years Hmm. and you, th- you hear that now and you go, well, how could anybody stand for that? But the kelp forests in Northern California are now gone and uh, they're not being restored either. So everybody needs to jump up and down about that. Um, I, I got some of the first funding to work on the restoration of the kelp up there. And it's a, a huge 600 mile coastline uh, yeah. collapse of, a, oh, of an ecosystem. Gosh. And we all need to be putting money and effort into fixing it because it's it's an ecosystem with more than 800 species relying on it. Um, so when you so, say fix it, what does that what does that look like? Can you like kind of get into the minutia of what that looks like? Well, one lots of money <laughs> because <laughs> you have to pay people to work. Yeah. But research, uh, testing, um, uh, the first thing I did was I started paying fishermen up there to pick up sea urchins. Uh, there's been a without going into a whole lot of detail. If you're listening and you don't know about the collapse of the kelp forest in Northern California, look it up. There's been lots and lots of media attention on it. But uh, the sea urchin uh, population has exploded. And so what I did down here was remove the sea urchins and then plant kelp Ah. uh, up there. That's the first step is trying to get rid of some of those sea urchins and making room for kelp to grow. Uh, It's a different species of kelp, so it's a little bit different than we did down here. But... um, I paid fishermen to do it because they already had permits and permits are a huge mm-hmm. hurdle to jump to doing restoration. Um, so they didn't need permits. They didn't have to jump through, you know, 30 different bullet points for the state in order to do restoration. And um, I, I think in once the first summer that they were working, 74 tons of sea urchins were removed from a half of a cove. Wow. Half of a cove? Half of a cove. Wow. Tons. Tons. Yeah. And really, you don't really think of people eating sea urchins other than maybe in some sushi. Yeah. I don't prefer it. So. I, I like it. You do? Yeah. Okay, so well, these particular, there. the species that's exploded up there, unfortunately, is the purple urchin, which there isn't really a market for, and they were only the size of a nickel. So wow. there's really nothing to eat. Wow. And so they're so small, but yet they're so damaging. Yeah. They all recruited at the same time after the the demise of all of our sea stars along the north north uh, coast of North America mm. and the warm water blob, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a chain of events that collapses an ecosystem. Okay, so so we so we have this going on and we and we have your passion. Mm-hmm. So so 
so share with us how you connected with schools. Well, um, I always liked teaching. And uh, when I first moved to California, marine biologists always have more than one job. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I, ha I was working at the Aquarium of the Pacific as a chemist. And I also was teaching uh, for a company called Inside the Outdoors. And it was an outdoor education company. And it was really fun. Um, I'm a I'm a naturalist, so I like mountains, deserts, and the oceans, and uh, and all the other ecosystems as well, the jungles and you know the um, the tundra. So um, I loved that. And then I became a substitute teacher as a second job as oh. well. And so I really started teaching probably in like the 1990s, mid 1990s, right as soon as I graduated almost. And uh, I, I really liked it. Um, when I started um, get inspired, when I started doing restoration work, um, part of the job was to include students. It was a federally okay. funded grant that I was working under, and it was to involve the community. And I thought, okay, well, this is going to be very difficult to get people excited about an algae, you know, restoring kelp. And uh, I found out that I was really good at it because I had passion for it. People really flocked to the idea of growing an algae. Uh, so, uh, and and also. Work, go, just walking into a classroom, not having to go to it every single day, but just walking in and going, wow, surprise, and then leaving was really cool, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I really liked that aspect. And uh, so part of that project was to in incorporate students and the community into restoration, which at the time wasn't really something that people did. It's, it's kind of commonplace now, but I remember uh, going to conferences, restoration conferences and, um, and, and science conferences and reporting my data, which was all collected by volunteers. And they would kind of poo-poo it like, oh, you know, that's, the scientists didn't collect that. But now it's very commonplace to go to a conference and have data collected from the public and from citizen scientists, it's it's no big deal now. But it was a really big deal then. And so students were part of the programs by growing the species that I was trying to restore, and, and at first was kelp. And uh, then once we were able to get the kelp restored, which took 12 years, mm -hmm. uh, about 300 volunteer divers that I trained all of them individually to be scientists before there were any wow. citizen science diving programs uh, that, that evolved, and, um, and training the students to care for the, the animals in the classroom like they were their own. You know, I go in, I do a full year long program with them in the classrooms, one-on-one. -on -one. I teach it myself and um, essentially put the fear of God in them. You know, you cannot kill these things because this is all we have. Correct. Um, and uh, the students really took to it, especially seeing them uh, take ownership of kelp, which for the four four months of its uh, four first four months of its life, you can't even see it with your naked eye. It's microscopic, so uh, it's like the emperor's new clothes. What's growing in there? I can't see it. <laughs> but uh, once we restored the kelp, and that was just a, a huge success. I was so inspired as well. I'd been laid off a couple of times due to funding while I was doing that project, and I just said, you know what? I'm starting my own nonprofit organization. I'm going to continue this work. And it, I called it Get Inspired, the organization, because I, I just had such a swell of support from divers in my community and the community at large, citizens, and the students who would 
ask me, how's our kelp doing? You know, how, oh, nice. how is our, our work, uh, looking out there? And, um, it was really, really inspiring to me. So, um, once we finished the kelp project and we had it to the surface and we had kelp forts for the first time in 25 years in Orange County, um, I thought, well, what else can I grow? And I chose the abalone, um, which is a species that's iconic mm-hmm. here in California. We ate them all. That's right. Um, yeah. So they're gone. And uh, I also chose to um, team up with a, it used to be a customer of mine, but Hub Sea World Research Institute, which has been releasing, restocking white sea bass along our coast for 22 years. And um, there is no other organization that does restocking of marine finfish in the United States. And I called them up and I said, I, I love doing this tor- sort of thing in classrooms. Can I take your program, which is done in harbors and bays along our coast, can I take it into schools? and teach kids to do it and they said we've always wanted to do that let us know when you have the money so so, uh, (laughs) I went out and fundraised and um, now there's 11 schools in Southern California growing white sea bass Um, I've had um, uh, five over 5,000 students grew kelp and I've had another 3,500 students who've grown um, abalone and uh, as far as sea bass goes let's see what's the numbers now uh, I've had about 3,900 students growing sea bass. We actually released them this morning from one of the schools because it's almost Christmas break. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, you know, because one, like one of the things in which I've been, I've been trying to do, and, and it's mainly only been in one, one district, um, trying to promote some of the stuff or some of the stuff in the, in the same vein. Um, I, I, I noticed that, that you also do aquaponics. Um, and so one of the things which I was offering to, to schools in my, in my district was free stuff, you know, mm-hmm. everything, you know, in which, which they could start their own aquaponic gardens. No teacher took it. Mm-hmm. Um, no principal wanted it. And, mm-hmm. and it was, and it was going to be free. Yep. How, how do you maneuver that where, where there's That's a really like, good question. I get asked that a lot. Um, and how I've been able to do this, it took a lot of trial and error, but I found out that um, going from the top down never works, too much bureaucracy. Hmm. So uh, coming in from like the superintendent or the school district is, it never does not work. So what I started doing was going to events where teachers hung out and, um, and then I'm in the press a lot too. So um, I interacted directly with teachers and then teachers also contact me directly and as you know, only exceptional teachers take on more work. Correct. That's so <laughs> true. So I, uh, luckily, I only get to work with exceptional teachers. Um, many of the teachers I work with have been teachers of the year, Golden Bell Award winners, um, you know, for the state, for their districts, for their schools. And um, so that's awesome. But yeah, I've had parents who come to me and say, I want my kids to do this in their classroom, and they have a checkbook in their hand, and they'll say, I'll pay, because it's expensive to build these nurseries and to buy all the salt and oh, sure. and the equipment to make this happen, and I just, I, I won't do it, because I know if a teacher isn't passionate about it, you can forget it. Correct. Um, the students won't have any interest, and or it'll just be for that year, and the teacher will put up with it, and the next year, everything goes in the trash. So, um, so I have to look for, and that's why I've worked in such a diverse community of schools. I've worked in over 30, 39 different schools. Um, I, I have to wait for them to come and find me um, 
because they're searching out something else. And it also, of course, benefits the teachers a great deal to do this type of work because they're learning and experiencing and getting fulfillment in, in doing something awesome as well as the kids. And um, so the teachers get a real big kick out of it, but, um, but they have to be totally passionate and into it as well because it requires daily maintenance. Yeah, yeah. And it does take quite a bit of effort to teach science, right? Essentially is what you're talking about because yeah. it takes a lot of preparation and yeah. planning and getting the supplies. And and we can always say, like, well, we have, like Fred said, these free resources for you to do. And it sounds all great, but then when you're in the classroom <laughs> and you have to do all these other things, I, I can see how teachers want to push it to the back burner. But when we have people like you who are willing to come in and help and you know provide some of the resources and then connect with those students and make a worldwide impact, I think it helps bring a little bit more spark to that fuse for teachers to want to get behind these types of projects. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I'm a one-person nonprofit organization, and the reason why there aren't a lot of groups that do this is because it's really expensive, you know, to there's a most of the nonprofits or aquariums or institutions are all about getting millions of students, you know, through their doors. Mm. They have rent to pay. Uh, I don't have an establishment, so that's one benefit where mm -hmm. I can go out to the schools. But um, you know, I work with in a school year, you know, maybe maybe eighteen hundred, two thousand students, and that's a lot for me. But for you know, a large institution, that that's not good for them. You know, they need hundreds of thousands of students under their belt. And so uh, it's not really feasible for large organizations. And it's expensive for me to, you know, to I either go to a school or I go out diving. I can't do both in one day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and if I go to a school, that's a whole day of work. You know, I'm not doing anything else. I'm not writing grants. I'm not yeah. writing reports. Uh, that's a whole day of work for me. So, and if I get 10 schools and I'm doing six you know, classes at each school, that's a whole lot of days throughout the year. So um, that's that's one reason why there isn't a lot of this in the classrooms because it's expensive. Yeah. Um, but, and I actually tried farming out me going into the schools with my volunteers and I tried putting videos together where I could just show a video, but nothing had the impact of me being there. And to me, I mean, I'm still interacting with students. I'm, I'm taking one of them out to lunch next week that was in middle school and I was working with her, you know, 10 years ago. Wow. She's getting ready to get her master's degree. Uh, one of my students who I taught about, I also teach diving, uh, underwater research diving, and to high school students for AP Environmental Science. And uh, she was in my class. She just finished her master's degree in kelp. You can imagine <laughs> my delight. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, she just called me and she's looking for a job, you know. So um, I'm, I'm able to see the results of my work now. And um, that is what's fulfilling to me because how I, I talk to the big institutions and they don't have follow through to know that, you know, that one kid of the 400,000 that came through their doors one year, you know, ended up getting inspired from them. So for my work that's really important for me to see the lights come on and there's nothing more exciting for me to i can pick up those kids really easily you know when you're talking to a class of them and and then open doors for them till till the end of time uh you know i'm still writing letters of recommendation for students who 
were were in my program 10 years ago or 15 years ago and um one of my students just got a job at the woodland park zoo um hmm. i'm getting I, I just contacted a whole bunch of them because i'm redoing my website looking for testimonials so just having that one-on-one -on -one, I've, I've mentored students who are in my white sea bass program to publish their own research in high school yeah. um because they were well they wanted to do it I saw that they were willing and, and able, opened the doors, presenting it at the Academy of Sciences. Wow. You know, I mean, it, it's it's awesome to have that opportunity to just see a kid who's like, I want the, I want everything. I'm so hungry for mm -hmm. science. And I can just <laughs> say, okay, let's go. Yeah. All of my students um, that I teach, well, the ones that I'm teaching right now are current uh, or future teachers. And in the classrooms, when they go in to student teach, they say, not a lot of science is being taught. And when they yeah. do teach it once a week, their students are so excited for it. And they just are so hungry for it. And they just want more and more and more. And and they say, like, they're just really restricted by their mentor teachers, you know, and it's not a priority. But I feel like you can teach science and include all of the curricular areas by teaching well, science. Absolutely, and that's that's one of the things I actually um, have taught in some developmental schools as well, and I taught for like three years at a day school. Uh, here where I live, that's uh, generally students who've been kicked out of school or dropped out of school, and they go into a one-room classroom, and they're just trying to get their GEDs accomplished, and I, I got the chance to work again with an exceptional teacher. She sought me out. We're still friends now, but um, she taught everything for these kids through marine biology because she loved it. Mm -hmm. So they learned English, you know, language. They learned math. They learned science, mm -hmm. everything through marine biology. I was just listening to a CD one of the kids made for me 15 years ago. Um, they made music. It was called Kelp is Rad or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but they... they um, this is, this is something I was invited to high tech high by one of my yeah. students that went through a summer camp that I put on and she wanted me to be on a radio program for them. And I said, only if you give me a tour of high tech high. And that was one of the things that they did is they taught everything together. So if they were doing Shakespeare, then they taught English, science, math, all the subjects around Shakespeare for that lesson. And it was maybe two weeks long or something, but, um, it integrated everything and that's so important yeah. for you know e-gaming is now a major mm -hmm. at university of, of ohio and if mm. kids are into that they're learning math and statistics like nobody's business right um and it's great to not know that you're learning something yeah. <laughs> and i know your your work with teachers and this is probably something they've been working on since the beginning of time but there's still disconnects between okay this is my math period and this mm -hmm, is my English correct. period and this is my science period and I've been asking students for 17 years what they want to be when they grow up and they always feel like they have to go down the chute because English is this and science is that and there's so much crossover now right um, with all of the disciplines that I really think schools should be reflecting that. Well, you're that, a marine biologist and you're writing grants, so there's some right. cross-curricular yeah. <laughs> things. <laughs> and I'm sure you have to crunch numbers for funding and all of that, Absolutely. so there's your math. And so. art. Oh, and, my gosh. <laughs> Science does not know its debt to the arts. So I am completely artistic blind, right? I can't draw anything. Mm -hmm. But I met a student at Orange Coast College the other day. I saw a drawing she made on the board, and I said, oh, I need you. 
let's work together. I'll help you sell your art, but I need your art to portray what it is I'm trying to talk about because not everybody gets science mm -hmm. with words and, but with art, most people do. So right. when I, I created the kelp fest on uh, 2010 because I realized we forgot to educate the communities who had kelp when they complained that it washed up on the beaches. Uh, but after we'd spent 12 years planting it. Yeah. And so the whole focus around the kelp fest was art, showing people that it's beautiful and that it's not slimy brown stuff with flies mm -hmm. on it. Mm. You know, it's this beautiful place, the cathedral underwater that most people never get to see. Mm -hmm. uh, so integration of all of these things. Now visual data, visual data, no, data visualization arts is becoming huge. I just found out about it from one of my marketing friends. Uh, and I've contacted a local high school to ask if their graphic design department is gonna start working with the statistics department so that we can start working together on that. And I want them to start pouring over my data so that I can show awesome visual graphics of the data that I've collected for 17 years. Um, they're connected. Nobody wants to look at a pie chart. That's right. <laughs> but if you can show, you know, kelp, restoration with a gorgeous graphic of you know growing kelp and things living in it um people would love that it's pretty yeah well thank you so much and what we like to how we like to end our podcast is asking our guests what is the nugget that you would like to share with the listeners as their call to action Well, I recently did a survey. I, I surveyed all of my volunteer divers, people that are ocean people. And I asked them what the most serious problem in our world's oceans was, what the most serious problem in our local coastal oceans was, and what the solutions were. And these were all adults. And I'm pretty sure if I gave this the same survey to kids, I would get the exact same answer because I've asked kids those questions too. Mm -hmm. um, the point and the the survey answers were every one of them were different <laughs> and so that was very telling to me that mm -hmm. i got the same answers from kids as i did from adults um and that there nobody knows what's going on there's no one problem there's no one solution and so um just emphasizing being good stewards being conscious humans and always looking to see what we can be improving upon no matter what the what the the source of our problem is mm -hmm. no matter who's causing the problem how we can individually be improving ourselves um, is a message that is ringing loud and clear for me i love that that's a great message to leave us with nancy thank you so much for your work uh with you know the oceans and restoring the kelp and with your outreach into the schools. We really appreciate it. And we also appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. If you would like to connect with Nancy Caruso, she can be found on LinkedIn. And her name is spelled C-A-R-U-S-O. Also, if you'd like to connect with us or follow us on our social media, we can be found at edX Global, as well as if you would like to publish anything on the Carrero Journal, please reach out to us and we'd love to hear the great work that you're doing.